You're tuning in to the Raised by Rentals program. This podcast will contain strong language and spoilers for decades-old media properties. And we are back for yet another episode of Raised by Rentals. We're continuing our talk of 80s films with Real Genius from 1985. It's an hour and 48 minutes, uh, directed by Martha Coolidge, who we would know from... Whoa, whoa. Uh, hey, Mike, Mike. Hi. Yeah. Um, this is not The Boogeyman's Closet. You're That's the wrong podcast. Oh, crap. Crap. You're <laughs> right. I'm sorry. Forgetting where I am. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> what were we talking about? Uh, you said something about Real Genius. Uh, what, what's that about? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so... I figured we could create an entire toy line about real genius. And I was thinking with like Captain Power, how they did like the laser light thing uh, where you shoot at the TV and, you know, with real genius, they had the whole like beam thing shooting from space. Like it'd be a fun match to what? Wait, uh, That sounds freaking awesome. But again, this is the wrong podcast. I think you're confusing this with Count Creepyhead Saturday morning monster mash. Oh shit. You're right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's been a week. I have like five other podcasts to record this week. So yeah, forgetting where I am. What the hell yeah. are we doing? We, we don't normally talk about toys on Raised by Rentals. This is normally the program where we examine pop culture franchises of the VHS era and improv new stories off the dome to imagine how we might improve our favorite movies, TV and games. And you definitely queued it right up because Real oh, Genius gotcha. is is clearly and you know firmly in the VHS era. But uh, no, I think it's a great idea. Like, let's roll with it, Mike. What what do you think we should do? I mean, not a toy line. Like, let me. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> let's be clear how about on that. a sequel? How about a sequel to Real Genius? I feel that this this film could have gone in many different directions. But uh, yeah, let let's let's sequelize uh, Real Genius and. And uh, do some crazy crap with it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think we can do a cool sequel. Yeah, we, we've done some uh, some sequels before. I think we have a nice little series going now of episodes where we get to do a cool sequel on a fun 80s or 90s property. So, yeah, I am down. I love Real Genius. I think it is a great movie. Uh, like you said, came out in 1985, firmly in the mid-80s. And there was a raunchy, irreverent comedy movie trend. You know, you had all of the like police academy uh movies and like the pretty and pinks and the breakfast clubs and all that sort of th thing and then you know even uh on the raunchier side with stuff like porkies and meatballs and all of that and yeah. i think of real genius as the sort of sister movie to something like weird science which i yes. would watch the both of these i would watch like over and over again when i was a kid definitely too young for weird science <laughs> <laughs> me, me too but that was the one that i watched way more than this and uh one that I feel we should come back to in a future episode because I fucking love Weird Science. Oh, hell yeah. We, it, I know it's on our list. We probably should bump it closer to the top because I think I have a pretty cool idea of something we could do with like a Weird Science sequel. But Sweet. we're going to talk about a Real Genius sequel first. Yes. So let's talk about what Real Genius is a little bit. Now, we, we don't need to go back. I appreciate the details. <laughs> Directed by Martha Coolidge. I don't really know anything else she's done. It's okay. <laughs> Valley Girl. Oh. <laughs> Valley Girl. There you go. Yeah. And a bunch of TV and stuff I know, too. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I appreciate the research. But, yeah, I mean, basically the movie is about uh, Val Kilmer as Chris Knight and Gabriel Jarrett, I think his name is, as Mitch Taylor. And they are 
geniuses. Mitch Taylor is a child genius. I think he's 15 in the movie. And Val Kilmer, as Chris Knight, was a child genius. And now he's a senior at uh, at university and he's about to graduate. And they are physics uh, and science geniuses. And, you know, that, that obviously that's their major and in addition to the normal classwork, they are part of a research team uh, headed up by uh, Professor uh, Jerry Hathaway, uh, played by William Atherton. And they are working to create or, I guess, invent a chemical laser uh, for – I think they probably think it's just for you know research purposes, but Professor Jerry Hathaway has nefarious ends in mind. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Specifically, Turning it into you a know, weapon for money. Yes, exactly. Yeah, specifically, he's looking to uh, to turn it into uh, or to sell it to the government for a uh, a laser that can be shot from orbit, you know, to uh, neutralize uh, nuke it from uh, space. <laughs> <laughs> Which sounds great to me. I think you know, if you can shoot one person from space, like I'm all about it. <laughs> right. I mean, in in a way, that's kind of like the best weapon ever. <laughs> Just be like, oh, that person's causing trouble in this other country, and get boom. Just, yeah, it's like that's crazy. <laughs> Although yeah, you know, fun. then everyone would be living in fear of the sky falling. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, it's like uh, God is a sniper. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I should not have taken a drink of my coffee just then. Oh man, because I, I just pictured God holding a sniper rifle, <laughs> looking down at Earth, be like, "You son of a bitch." You know, he would just be like, "Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. You're cool. I'm out." <laughs> Deuces, bitches. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, oh, jeez. Oh, you know, fun fact, uh, I'm not a, a big uh, skateboarder. That's not the fun fact. The fun fact is that Stacy Peralta has a cameo in Real Genius, which I had no idea until I was looking up some details about the movie for this. Uh, Stacy Peralta, famously a part of the uh, Z-Boys, you know, early competitive uh, skateboard team. Uh, he was involved in like the Bones Brigade and uh, there was a, the movie The Lords of Dogtown is about those people in that whole era. And yeah, yeah he, he plays the uh, at the beginning. There's like this little film that the government makes t- almost like a marketing uh, commercial to show off the power of their laser. And he's like the pilot in like the spaceship that fires the laser at the beginning. Oh no shit. I had no idea. And neither do I. And it's like such a weird thing. Like he must've just been friends with the cinematographer or the casting agent or something. <laughs> right. Because like how weird, I mean, he makes his own movies too. And he has for a long time, but what a strange cameo. Yeah. That's, that's really weird. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so um, we don't need to get into the the whole synopsis of the movie. Well, maybe we should go back and do the Boogeyman's Closet synopsis style, but no. <laughs> well, I do think there's one really important part that we kind of have to get into to to make a sequel make sense, and that that's the the character of Kent, yes. um, the 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 turd <laughs> of Kent, who is basically a huge suck up to uh, Professor Hathaway. Um, he he really wants to be like you know everybody's favorite when it comes to the higher ups and he's constantly trying to uh, screw over Mitch and Chris, you know, kind of trying to one up them. And uh, so, so much so that he ends up like screwing up their laser, uh, but in, you know, inadvertently giving Chris the solution to, to fix it because, you know, he forces them to, to reexamine the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is something that they do to, to Kent, that I feel is a good impetus for how we would make a sequel. 
Um, I forget her name. Was it uh, uh, Jordan? Was that the girl's name who liked Mitch? Yeah, Jordan. Michelle Merring. The only other thing that she was in that I'm aware of was Revenge of the Nerds, which comes up on this show all the time. <laughs> yeah, we will we will eventually cover Revenge of the Nerds in some capacity because we both got a lot of shit to say about that. Um, yeah, real quick before you go, I'm just going to throw it out. We'll put, we'll put it on the record right now. We complain so much about how like rapey and uncomfortable and inappropriate Revenge of the Nerds is, but it's also like a fun idea for a movie with a really great cast. So yeah. I think... You know, we always talk about how we're going to improv, improve movies. Why don't we just do Revenge of the Nerds and we'll just tell the story that should have been told without all of the like the rape. Cr- yeah, exactly. I was like, well, all the criminal mischief and sexual assault. If we just did like, you know, a fun version of the same movie with some of the cool pranks like we have in Real Genius, you know, like they might be a little, uh, you know, mean spirited at times. But for the most part, you know, pretty innocent and just it's a good time rather yeah. than, you know, something that is going to make my skin crawl if I watch it again. <laughs> exactly. Because because that, that is that is the important distinction is, is watching uh, Revenge of the Nerds now is a really disturbing experience <laughs> because it's like, I don't know if it's just because times have changed or, you know, we grew up, but it's like seeing it now, it's like, Jesus, this is horrific. Like, it really is messed up. So, but again, it's got a great cast. And like you said, it's a fun idea. I do think that we could do something there. So, yeah, make it more of a, uh, I mean, hell, it could even still be an R-rated comedy. Just remove mm-hmm. all of that stuff and and replace it with funnier jokes. Yeah, um, I, think, I think it'd be, that it might be a fun thing to do with a guest star on. Maybe we can we can have a little roundtable of, like, let's come up with some cool pranks and jokes and things that we yeah. can fill, fill out Revenge of the Nerds with to, you know, to fix that movie. Um, this is our 10th episode. I didn't, didn't get a chance to say that earlier, and I think it's cool that we've made it to double digits. But maybe for another anniversary episode of some kind, we'll we'll have a couple of people on and have a nice long roundtable. We'll, we'll finally improv, improve, and fix that movie <laughs> yeah no i like that i think that's a good idea so right. we'll, it's on we'll, the, it's on the record yeah we'll we'll put it uh we'll put it on the docket for uh for uh, for an anniversary guest episode <laughs> sounds good so we actually but, created a segue i think back into what you were saying like what happened to kent yeah so with with jordan uh they okay so she uses his braces as an antenna um they put something in his mouth it was like something that they hooked up to his braces But they then uh, speak to him via a radio, making him think he's hearing the voice of God. And or was it Jesus in particular? I think it was Jesus in particular. Yeah. Yeah. He he says Jesus. uh, Yeah. But yeah, it was some kind of like a little shortwave radio transmitter. And they somehow wired it into his uh, his very large, you know, uh, (laughs) brace face type of braces. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And but yeah, I mean, and they they really screw with him and like, yeah, it's all funny and, 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 you know, goofy, like, ha ha ha. They're making him think he's talking to God. But now let's just examine that for a minute. Like he literally thought he was hearing from God or Jesus to the point where, like, he was following direction given by that voice. What happens when that voice stops? Like the dude was already messed up. You know, he was already a bit. um high strung let's say so yeah and and he, and he he himself had a little bit of 
he had a little bit of a God complex, but he was also very subservient and he just craved like approval. He just constantly licking Professor Hathaway's ass through the whole movie yep. while at the same time being incredibly arrogant. So it's this really interesting combination, uh, like I said, of, of having this sort of God complex because he's so smart and yet requiring just constant uh, like recognition and approval. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, with, when someone like that uh, has this type of experience, a, a spiritual experience, and then suddenly it goes away, what is that person left with? And here's this this is where I think we can build on. Like you and I have often discussed about genre switch films, where it's like you know we take uh, take a movie and then the sequel is like a 180. So it's like it's a comedy and now it's like you know a thriller type of thing. Now we had briefly discussed off the air about like we should do that with an with an upcoming episode. I think we should do that here, you know that we should do a a genre switch like you had suggested with this, where we do make it into a thriller and Kent is a bad guy, you know Kent is some kind of crazed villain. Yeah, I think that that that's a great idea, actually. Okay, there's lots of cool places we could go with that. Uh, yeah, so right off the bat, Kent was a part of the research team with Chris and Mitch working on the chemical laser. I guess he maybe wasn't in charge of it, but he certainly had some standing in the group. Like one of the other characters makes a joke at one point that it goes from like God to Jerry to Kent or, you know, whoever. Right. Uh, so that, right. So, so there, there is like a certain level of hierarchy. So he had some sway and then he basically gets pushed aside by this 15 year old uh, wonderkind from nowhere, you know, mm -hmm. who co comes out and takes the, his glory. So, he already in the movie had a lot of uh, jealousy and resentment toward uh, our main characters. And he's set up as a villain, but also, you know, he is a bit of a victim. I think he's he's a person who turned villain because he felt like he was, you know, driven out. He was rejected. And yeah, he, exactly what you said. He goes from helping to actually sabotaging the laser at one point because he knows right. that it will uh, it will set Chris back so far as to not be able to graduate and uh, something that professor Jerry Hathaway is holding over his head after, you know, he's this child genius and he's been there for years to suddenly not be able to graduate and move on to these incredibly high paying jobs that he, uh, he's gotten lined up, you know, would be a huge blow to Chris. So, you know, Kent right. uh, is becoming the villain of the, of the movie and, you know, he's just kind of an asshole. So he's not really helping his own case. So, when he suddenly starts hearing from the voice of God, you know that he's got to be thinking, well, screw Professor Hathaway, because now Jesus is talking to me. Like That's an even higher level right. of approval, <laughs> you know? Um, exactly. And then, like, to your point, to your point, like, it stops. And it actually stops, the voice of God stops in the movie, because Mitch and Chris and Jordan and the rest of the crew, they get so focused on their own uh, grand plan to sabotage the laser after they perfect it and then the government gets their hands on it uh they want to sabotage it because they don't want the government to use it as a weapon of you know death and destruction as a you know an assassin uh device so they want to sabotage it now and they were using kent as a pawn to you know move some of their uh their their pieces in place for their grandmaster plan so they at one point just sort of abandoned kent they say hey go to 
Professor Hathaway's house and wait there. Something crazy is going to happen. Um, but they basically, they, they, all they really tell him is go there and wait. Don't go mm-hmm. inside. He gets there and he's talking to Jesus like, hello, are you there? You're not answering me. And then he kind of gives up, goes into the house and has uh, a bit of a, I guess, a religious experience. <laughs> yeah, when the laser <laughs> comes in. Yeah, the laser comes through the window and it hits a prism and it's kind of shining everywhere and hitting this giant a ball uh, of like silver ball that looks you know very impressive until it's discovered that it's just full of popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, which is a funny end of the movie, and that's all we get with Kent. You know, his ending is having some kind of a strange experience with the laser, and the voice of God is gone, and then he swims out on a wave of popcorn <laughs> off to, off in the sunset, never to be heard from again. Yeah, and, and that's like that's the thing I keep thinking about is like I feel like this dude would become some kind of like crazed cult leader or something. Like, oh, dude, okay, like. <laughs> this is okay. I haven't thought about this in a while. <laughs> remember Cobra, the the Stallone movie? Do I remember it? Hell yeah, of course I do. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> the group of serial killers. Like it was like an army of serial yeah. killers. Yeah. What if Kent like creates a like a, a like some kind of cabal of like crazed killers? And is convincing them that he he hears from God or that he heard the voice of God and God, you know, like shined his light down on him. And now he speaks for God, that type of a thing. Like maybe he's that arrogant and crazy that Mm -hmm. he thinks the reason God stopped talking to him is because his decisions are ordained by God. Like he does what he does, you know, at the hand of God type of thing. Like he's just fucking loony. Yeah, no, I think that's great. I think there is um, there's something cool there. I think you're right. As if he maybe thinks that he's on a mission, like I'm on a mission from God, you know? Um, Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, yeah, and maybe at first he was confused that why would God speak to me, give me these almost inconsequential tasks, and then just go away? You know, like what happened? What, What? was I not worthy? You know, was I chosen and then rejected? And he would have had to go through a period of this sort of soul searching and questioning. What was it? And I think he could have ended up with a, a, a lot of different conclusions. But to your point, his conclusion was, wait, you know, God spoke to me. He chose me. So if he's not speaking to me now, it must be because he doesn't have to anymore. Right. Right. Maybe that's the reasoning that he he falls on, which is not good reasoning. But we're talking about somebody who at this point would have definitely become unhinged. You know, this would have probably, you know, driven him crazy. So now he feels like he's speaking for God. Um, Oh, and actually, you know, this is something that I think you had mentioned offline where you had said, what if it was his inner monologue or his own thoughts that he yes. started started to confuse for the voice of God. And that's part of how he ended up with that conclusion is he was hearing the voice inside of his head. I mean, it was through his braces, but imagine what that must be like to hear right. a voice inside of your head. And I don't know about you, but, you know, I'm the type of person where when I think it's almost as if there is a voice in my head, you know, it's oh, my absolutely. voice, right? Yeah. And, yeah. It's like yeah. you're just talking to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
And uh, yeah, that's just reminding me uh, not to get all like, you know, biblical and spiritual, but it's reminding me of kind of a famous Bible verse, which is Isaiah uh, chapter six, verse eight in the King James Version says, also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, who shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, Lord, send me. Um, you know, which is it, it's, it's a voice that, or a verse that says, if no one else is going to do it, then I'm going to do it because I right. hear the voice of God, you know, and there it can lead to a megalomania if not modulated, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And someone like Kent is that's the type of personality that would come to that conclusion, you know? Yeah, exactly. He's on a mission from God. Here am I. Send me. So right. what what is his mission from God going to be? I think we have a motivation for Kent. So now we need to know what is it that he thinks he needs to do and how are Chris and Mitch involved? We need to solve those questions next. Well, and I know I mentioned this at the at the very top before we started recording, because we've said this before uh, on the air, like right before we record, we'll spitball a couple of loose ideas to kind of get the juices flowing. But one thing that that I think that we we should focus on is what are Chris and Mitch doing? You know, they they've graduated college, they've moved on into the workforce. You know, what time frame does this take place in? And you had mentioned about the '90s, and I, and I agree with that. I think that we need to, uh, to 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 kind of fast forward a bit into the future, um, toward the end of the '90s. You know, during the okay. internet the internet zeitgeist, like when everybody like internet was popular. Uh, people were still using AOL and chat rooms and all that, but it was like every home just about had the internet. Um, like I remember I started working at my current job in 2000 and we did not have the internet in our office yet. By 2001, mm. we had the internet in our office. So it was like, it was during that transitional period where like not everywhere you go had the internet yet, but it was becoming more and more popular. So of course, Chris and Mitch would do something with the internet. Now, we already see in this movie, in the first movie, that they don't want their genius being exploited for, you know, uh, war, being exploited for death and destruction. So they're very much uh, about, like, I don't give a damn about the money. I don't want my, you know, the things I create being used for harm. So mm -hmm. they, they would do something for the people. Like, so let's let's pretend that a social network, an early social network, so okay. uh, of, of like a very proto Facebook MySpace type thing, is created by them as a means to bring people together through the internet. And of course, they do that; they're going to become super fucking famous. Like they're they're going to yeah. be the Zuckerberg, uh, you know? Like <laughs> they're going to rise to stardom. And of course, Kent's going to notice that. You yeah. know, he's going to see that. So maybe that drives it. Maybe he's like, you know, they tried to ruin my life in college. Like here they are like trying to, I, I don't know, maybe he could think that they're trying to like pull people away from God or so. I don't know how, what his reasoning is going to be, but he targets the two of them. And then maybe he Ooh. starts looking at anybody else that's involved with their company. You okay. Know? Okay. So something like, I don't know, it's just kind of spitballing here. So. Yeah, no, 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 it's good. It's good. I got, I got a couple of light bulbs. So yeah, off air, when I mentioned, you know, the nineties, I was originally thinking, let's just jump into the age of like the personal home computer and like the internet first getting into the home, you know, the rise of AOL, maybe like 1995 ish, just because I was thinking it would be interesting 
because the 90s was also a time of resurgence for like the techno thriller. You know, yeah. we had you had things the like those, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like all those Mission Impossible movies and the Tom Clancy movies and, you know, a, a lot of and even hackers, you know, which oh, yeah. um, <laughs> you had a lot of like, myth- go ahead. I would say I love that movie, but man, it, it is not technologically hold up. That's exactly what I was about to say. Yeah, you had a lot of like misunderstanding of how technology actually works, <laughs> you know, and in the net as well. Like there was just no way that any of that, you know, would would happen. But, you know, people yeah. were sort of hopeful and yet fearful at the same time. And I thought that would be an interesting thing to play in. But I like where you're going with this. If we fast forward closer to the end of the decade, I think that there is you know, one important aspect that makes that interesting, which is the the fear of Y2K. Yes. Um, I, I want to come back to that in a minute. I just wanted to throw it out there so we, we could get it in the mix and, and we could we could investigate it a little bit. But first, I wanted to mention you meant, you said something about how Kent would notice the rise of this social media, this early social media network, this, you know, pre Facebook, pre MySpace, you know, pre live journal, whatever. Mm-hmm. And somehow he would, you know, take uh, offense to it. You know, he would take umbrage to it. And I think maybe it's because he is thinking of himself as a messenger from God. And maybe he's known in like tech circles as like this like underground nut, you know, who is this huge conspiracy theorist. And he's trying to like, you know, gather followers to himself. And, you know, he's almost like super villain ish, but not really taken that seriously by like, the standard scientific community and then here comes this social media network where you have these guys chris and mitch who suddenly they have the ability to talk and communicate and create a community with everybody all at once like with the whole world yeah. you know, they they sort of take on the role of god in kent's perception where suddenly they're talking to everybody you know from the ether from the cloud, you know, and, and it's oh. Kent who, Kent who is thinking like, no, like that's my mission. You know, I have to stop you. So I think that there needs to be something that he is doing sort of super villain ish. Like he's been building towards some grand plan, like a millennium Y2K, you know, grand, uh, um, display of power, right? Some huge thing he's going to do maybe with the laser that they build, maybe some kind of a weapon. I think we need to talk about that and how it ties into the Y2K scare. But now he's thinking, oh, I have to get this obstacle out of my way or these obstacles, which are these old like college people who knew me back, back when, you know, he could almost see them as false prophets. Oh, there you go. That's interesting. Yeah. That's really cool. So make it very spiritual. Yeah, so I, I kind of like this idea of going the religious thriller with this. Like, I, I didn't expect it to take this turn, but having, like, the, the more we play with Kent, the more I'm thinking, like, yeah, almost like having him be that, like, psychotic religious villain character. Like, um, oh, God, I can't think of the pastor's name, but uh, from Red State. I, have you seen Red State yet? <laughs> no, you keep mentioning oh, it. I still haven't watched it yet. You got to watch it. But oh, Michael, I, I just watched five seasons of Better Call Saul, so that's oh. what I was focusing on. <laughs> but uh, uh, Michael Park's character in, in Red State, he's like this crazy preacher. And I, and I always... I always love the crazy preacher villain. Like, even though I'm, I'm still pretty religious myself, like 
I love that villain. I, I don't know what it is that it draws me to like those those guys scare me. <laughs> so if we turn Kent into that type of character, I think that that could make for a really scary villain. So so, yeah, so he sees them as false prophets. Maybe his thing, maybe what he's trying to do on like message boards and chat rooms and all that is trying to convince people. Once again, he's still seeking approval from his peers. Maybe he's constantly talking to people about how, you know, he has this grand design for uh, like a super weapon. Like maybe he's talking about the laser, right? He, he obviously helped build it, so he knows how it works. Maybe he's trying to build another one to like prove that he can use like the light of God to take out anyone who's a non-believer type of thing. I don't know if we want to go that far. Oh, yeah. No, that's but, like, good. His whole thing was mirrors, right? Like he worked on the lenses mm-hmm. and the mirrors. What if he's trying to like use this laser to like, I don't know, ricochet off of a satellite or something like that to like be able to kill whoever he deems unworthy. So people see him as like a fucking nut bar, <laughs> but then he starts killing people <laughs> like and pretending like it's God's will. type. So maybe he's like, that's how he starts amassing a following and then sees Chris and Mitch pop up as like, you know, hey, there's these two false prophets. I need to take them out and anyone involved type of thing. Yeah, no, that's good. I, I like the idea of the religious uh, techno thriller twist. That's really I didn't plan that either. But there was kind of a trend of that, too, in the 90s. I'm thinking of like the prophecy, right? The devil's oh, advocate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even like end of days. You know, I think that there was enough of those in the 90s where this would have fit right in where, yeah, exactly where you have um, someone like Kent who's setting himself up as a prophet. And maybe he's been laying low because he's looking forward to the millennium, you know, for him, for him, it's more about the concept of, you know, the change of the century, obviously the change of the millennium itself. Millennial prophecies exist in the Bible. I don't want to get into all of that theology right now, but there, there is a tradition of millennial prophecies in the Bible. So I think it would make sense. Like, why would he wait from like 1985 to like 2000, you know, partly I think just because of waiting for the development of technologies, partly because he's nuts and doing things like underground, probably without a whole lot of money. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and maybe what he's just been slowly building this like supervillain master weapon over time, to your point, he's building this like laser, like the one they had uh, back in the eighties at, at school. But now it's like, he's thinking this laser wasn't just a coincidence. It wasn't, you know, just a thing we did for professor Hathaway. This was like my life's work. And these guys like took it from me, but you know, like God talked to me and God wanted me to do these you know, things. And he was giving me missions and tasks to do. And I, it's because I, it was my, my destiny to build this laser, to build this weapon that would show the world, the light of God. And they would truly fear him, you know, once and for all, put the fear of God into the population. And he's going to put it up somewhere like on the top of a building in times square or something like that. And, you know, at the drop of the ball on 1999 to 2000, he's going to just like lay into like New York city with a giant, you know, laser instead of being like a little beam, it's going to be like this huge, this gigantic beam that can take out like whole streets, you know? Oh, I got it. I got it. Okay. All right. Oh, this is good. All right. So when Kent was, was focused on this laser, you know, like, like you said, he was part of this, he worked with it. He, you know, they stole it from him when he, the last time he heard from God was when the laser came through the window, hit the prism and shined all over the place. Right. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. What if he takes that concept and he's like, okay, that was God showing me how to make a weapon of mass destruction. Oh, okay. So he creates some kind of prism effect that when shined his little tiny laser on, it's going to fucking fire beams in every direction, just creating like a, like almost not quite like a nuke, but like a centralized nuke. Like it's going oh. to destroy an entire area. Oh shit. Hang on real quick before you continue. I just remembered Kent's main job on the laser project after Mitch joined the team was to build the mirrors to reflect right. and aim the laser. Like he's a mirror optics specialist. Right. This is per- perfect. Right. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. So, oh, he could build all, it, it would be almost like this weird like cage of mirrors and prisms where yeah, he could he's creating this like uh like death star, like this what and not like the Star Wars, but like literally like this ball like, like star. The, <laughs> oh like like the ball that would drop from the building yes, in would... the Times Square, except that it would shoot lasers out of every place instead of like little light bulbs. It would be lasers in yes. every direction. Oh, I was damn. just going to say, we need to use Times Square as like, you know, the countdown and have it be the fucking, like have that be involved in laser, whether it be inside the, the, the you know, the, the ball that drops or whether it be he, you know, he's created something with the ball where he has to shoot the laser at it and it fucking fires out all over New York. Like, Yes, yeah, definitely. Yeah. We have to do the Times Square thing. Yeah, I'm thinking. He, I'm thinking. Yeah, I'm, I'm. Whatever it is, maybe he even builds it. This is the late '90s, and I think it needs to be large enough where it couldn't be the ball itself. But you're right. Like he's gonna maybe even just pull it up in a van, right? Or mm. get it, or or get it onto the. He's working with his like crew of like weird cultist followers, and he's gonna get it up into the building because interesting. I don't know if it was in 1999, but interesting fact is that now. The building is actually empty. It's uh, the New York Times building. I'm trying. I, I'm gonna have to look it up real quick while we're talking and find out when they stopped renting out the building to tenants because now it's basically just a giant billboard and there's nobody in it. But how? It, yeah, maybe that's what he's doing. Is he's secretly sneaking into the building like piece by piece and assembling his giant like mega weapon death laser inside the building and when the ball drops it's going to go like right in front of this giant laser he's going to shoot it and then it's going to just reflect in like every direction you know and and he's modified the ball in some way where there's like a prism inside of it now and he's going to hit it just right yeah oh i love it so Okay, so yeah, so now we have to, so we, we got like our, our end goal. So now we have to like work backward from there and figure out like how to, how to Chris and Mitch get involved with all this and like, what is he doing? So if he's been working with like, you know, chat rooms and message boards and all that, like kind of the underground thing. And now here comes this social network where everybody, including your mom, can be on the internet talking to her friends type of thing. Um, you know, obviously he's, he's going to take umbrage with that, like you said. So do we want him to see them as like like we're talking about the the false prophets do we want him to to kind of go off his plan to go after them or do we want like maybe somebody that knows him from the message board scene you know is on this you know we got to figure out what we're going to call this facebook stand-in but like uh I, I don't know, genius net, something like yeah. that. Yeah, we just, yeah, we just call it, yeah, we can call it like, uh, let's call it like real net, you know, something yeah, that's very, very, it sounds very 90s, you know. Right. <laughs> instead of using the word genius, we'll use the word real from the title of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Real net. So well, maybe, oh, good. I was going to say, so I, I think, tell me where you're going to go with this, but I'm just thinking, 
what if the issue is that Kent has been designing this plan for years in Times Square, but now you have Chris and Mitch who are creating this global social media community. And so maybe they've announced that like, hey, Y2K is nothing to worry about. Like, don't be scared. It's going to be okay. We're going to help you fix it. But maybe they've announced, hey, we're going to do like a, a gigantic Y2K party, a huge celebration for the whole world. We're going to count down to it and like nothing's going to happen and it's going to be amazing. Nothing is going to blow up. You know, no planes are going to crash. You know, no disasters right. are going to happen. Instead, we're going to have like the, the biggest party ever. But maybe they they don't want to do it in New York because they're thinking, let's find a more uh, globally appropriate like location right and so they're basically gonna set up something somewhere else i don't know where yet but i'm just thinking how, maybe kent's problem is like damn it these jerks that used to pick on me in college now they're gonna like take this giant crowd of millions of people that i was planning on having in new york and now they're not going to be there because they're going to be going somewhere else okay okay yeah see now that that might be better because honestly where i was going with it was like um you know so similar to where, to where you you were saying, like with the whole "don't worry about Y2K," I was gonna say like having having the whole social network thing and having one of these people who knew Kent from the message boards, like you know, oh yeah, you should see what this loony's saying about Y2K. Like he thinks that everyone's gonna fucking die, you know, and have this whole conversation get going on the social network on Real.net, and have uh, you know Chris and Mitch be like, it's nothing to worry about, you know, them being the realists, like. I mean, we both lived it. You remember what it was like? (laughs) You know, there were the people like you and I that were like, don't worry about it. And then there were people that were like, oh, my God, the world's dying. Like, it was insane. Um, Yep. (laughs) So you're going to have that split group. And then what if this this guy, you know, who frequents these other, you know, creepy message boards, (laughs) like the dirty side of the Internet's like, oh, you should see what this one dude's saying about Y2K. Like, he's thinking that the, you know, all of New York is going to is going to burn up and this, that and the other. And this guy, you know, maybe Kent sees this, like sees him being mocked on the social media circles. And not Mm -hmm. only that, but like is like, you know, how dare you take away this crowd? Like take, you know, like kind of more to your point of having, you know, he was planning this giant, you know, Death Star Ray during the huge, the biggest party of the year. And now the biggest party is going to be like, you know, a handful of people being like, woohoo. So he's like, yeah. damn it. <laughs> like, yeah, I got my plan. But what if the guy who kind of exposed Kent goes missing? And, you know, people are like, huh, that, that's kind of weird that he just disappeared. Like maybe he was a very vocal person. And maybe somebody else that was vocal about him goes missing. And maybe that's when, you know, Mitch and uh, and Chris kind of start noticing a pattern of like anyone who talks about Kent goes missing. Like we got to look into this. You know, or okay, something yeah. like, or maybe the FBI approaches them because they're like, you know, yeah, anyone uh, using your social network talking about this particular person that you have interacted with, um, they've gone missing. <laughs> we need your help, type of thing. Yeah, no, okay, this is good. So I'm picturing uh, this this cool scene where you're exactly that we can we have to introduce 
Bitch and Chris, but I, I really think the movie should probably focus more on Kent. Like this is Kent's movie, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't want this to just be another like prank fest, but we do, we do have to have a couple of like interesting scenes where, you know, we introduce uh, Kent and Mitch and we kind of show how successful and like rich they are. And, you know, their, their office would be again, kind of like proto Google with like, everyone's like on like bouncy ball chairs oh, and yeah. like there's a basketball net and it's just like party central, like when Chris Knight was at college and that's how their work environment is. So, we have to have this whole sequence where we kind of like maybe even like walk through the building with them while they're talking about their plans and hey the big y2k event and like forget new york we're going global with this like we're going to do it in like you know london or or you know wherever right and we're or, right. or everyone's better yet everyone's going to be at home online because we're yes. going to do the first ever online ball drop and everyone's going to see it in the entire world at the same time you know uh like no more time zones or whatever you know whatever it is i, I don't know that we necessarily need to go that way i'm just thinking where we're going to unite the whole world online and uh you know keep people you know in their houses on on the computer plugged into the wall because it's not like you know remote yet uh um, right anyway yeah we're going to kind of kind of kind of walk through like the real net you know offices and see how like fun and irreverent and crazy it is and maybe we see some of their old buddies from college, a couple of familiar faces like Jordan, you know, who would still right. be working for them. And then maybe Laszlo. Point, yeah. Well, so I had an idea for Laszlo, right? So, oh, okay. um, yeah. So that at some point later on, like we, after we see, kind of see what Kent's up to yet, yeah, we'll go back to the real net offices and, you know, we'll see Chris and Mitch again in planning stages and yeah, in, in comes like, you know, the FBI or, or, you know, whoever, you know, to let them know, hey, you know, we, we have to warn you guys where we brought protection for you because there's been a trend of people who interacted with, you know, Kent. Do you remember Kent? And they're like, you know, that, you know, that douche nozzle, you know, whatever. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they've kind of forgotten all about him. He's like, well, you know, to your point, it's like, you know, he interacted with so and so and then they went missing and then so and so went missing. And he's, you know, Kent himself has been off the grid for a long time. And, uh, you know, a lot of people thought he was dead, blah, blah, blah. And then Chris and Mitch are going to kind of blow it off, like whatever. Like he was always a weirdo, and it's probably nothing. And then have Laszlo like walk in, like out of nowhere, like just he just appears like a like a spirit, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> like he did in the previous movie, <laughs> exactly. And then and and have him just you know John Grease is just like no. It's true. And then he tells them that in addition to that, some of their old, you know, friends from college have also gone missing. And so it's not ah. just that, hey, Kent, had, Kent and a couple of weirdos that he did business with are off the grid. But now it's anyone who's interacted with Kent all the way back to the university. You know, like there was one character named Bodie, I think. And, you know, mm -hmm. whatever. And suddenly these people are going missing. And maybe even Jerry Hathaway himself. Is I was like just going to say Professor Hathaway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even Hathaway. And so he's like, no, you need to take this seriously. You know, and I think it'd be interesting if, you know, Laszlo kind of joins the the little club, the little team of Mitch and Chris as they team up to figure out what Kent's deal is, you know? Right. Oh, I, I, I dig that. One thing I want to say about the like, we, we have to have this joke in the, the the offices, the real net offices is like when we have like the FBI agents, maybe we're focusing on them walking next to Mitch. Like we see that, that, you know, there's a group walking with him. Right. And then we pan mm -hmm. over to get Chris's point of view and he has to have the dealy boppers on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, like he's just walking around with them in his office. Yeah. I, I think it'd be a funny little visual cue if we did a lot of those callbacks where like, every time we see Chris 
he's like got the bunny slippers on or he's like in his boxers yes. or he's got like weird like fingerless gloves made out of socks, you know, or he's you walking know, out his hands for some reason. Yeah. He's like, you know, he's got a whole bunch of like balloons or he's like sitting in a lawn chair for some reason or, you know, right. ups, upside down sunglasses or whatever. But it would be funny if it was like literally every time the camera focused on him to the point where it'd be like, wait, when did you have time to change? You know, right. <laughs> yeah, but like I mean, nobody mentions it, you know, <laughs> and, and that's the thing, like, even though we are going more of a, of a thriller film with this, like it is still a sequel to a comedy. So we have to have some jokes in here. Yeah, um, I completely agree. But yeah, so I, I like this. So we have uh, we have all these people going missing and maybe in some cases, Kent's not harming them. Maybe he's gathering them to his his like weird cult, you know, like they they believe in what he's doing and believe that, you know, Y2K is a, a new beginning, you know, that we have to tear down the old to begin a new type of thing like maybe they start to believe that you know this this real real dot net is is the, it's the devil you know it's like yeah yeah uh, exactly if you're the great like, satan <laughs> right and like if you remember like back when like aol and shit was really kicking off there was a lot of people who were like oh i don't trust it i don't trust it like mm-hmm. you're you're letting the government into your homes i don't trust it and it's like it's funny because now the same people are, are the ones that are like facebook said it must be true um (laughs) that's exactly right (laughs) but it's like you have that group of people back then so it would make sense for the time frame maybe a lot of these techno nuts are kind of seeing the writing on the wall like the 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 change of technology going into like the age of information where like the internet age that we all live in now maybe that scares them and maybe they're like this guy's on to something we need to start over like it, we need to burn it all down and 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 start over like fucking scorched earth scenario, like literally in this case. Yes, exactly. Um, so maybe he starts bringing people to his cause, and those that want to go against it don't come back. <laughs> you know, it's like so maybe maybe he approached Hathaway and like Hathaway's like you're fucking nuts, can't get out of here. And next thing you know. Hathaway's got a knife in his his gut, you know, something like, like yeah. kills him, you know. Um, and then we that would see... be a good scene to actually have in the movie too. Yeah, I would yeah. actually love. Let's actually get that, and we'll we'll get you know William Atherton to do a cool cameo. Yeah, and we can maybe even start the movie with that, like a cold open, you know, where yeah. we see uh, Jerry Hathaway, and then here comes some some mysterious guy in like a hoodie, you know, is like ringing his doorbell and giving him a hard time, and then you know he pulls the hoodie back, and it's like Kent, what are you doing here? Blah blah blah. You know, I I kicked you out of school. You know, right. or uh, which would be an interesting like throwaway line, but yeah, like you know, I kicked you out of school, blah blah blah, and then Kent just barges in with like some goons, and yeah, they kind of put the put the question to Hathaway, like, are you in or are you out? You know, and he right. explains mysteriously asks some questions about come and join my master plan, you know, and uh, yeah, and of course when when Jerry says no, it's just like you know, well, you know, you've you're 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 a real disappointment, professor, or whatever, you know, some something like that, and then yeah, one of the goons. Just, you, you just see uh, William Atherton's eyes just go, you know, and and, and yeah. go wide. And one of the goons has like a knife in his back while Kent is just coldly watching him fall. Oh, dude, I like it. And then, yeah, because and then we could almost do like a POV shot of like, you know, Hathaway fall. We see Kent like you know, have the camera laying on its side, like on the floor and Kent just turn and walk away. And then like, you know, fade to black when the door closes then real genius to whatever the, you know, electric boogaloo, whatever the sequel title is going to be. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then and then kick right in. Maybe we we this is where we jump in 
to Chris and Mitch. We show what they're doing. And like Mm -hmm. maybe it's their uh, their launch ceremony, their launch party. It's like a little a a small group of people. And it could say like, I don't know, maybe it could be like, you know, 1998 and be like, you know, we've worked really hard on this. And it's a small little group of guys, Uh, you know, Jordan's there, Laszlo's there, all that. And have them be like, you know, but it's all going to pay off. And they, they launched their first social network and slowly it starts gaining steam. And by ni- by like the end of 99, like when we're leading up to the to the fucking millennium, it is like Google. Like you said, like they're they are tech giants like it blew up. So, yeah, of course, yeah, the entire time Kent's going to be watching them like with with jealousy and rage, you know, yeah. So real quick, I'm thinking I love that you came up with that idea for like uh, to back up for a minute when uh, Professor Hathaway sort of falls and we get this POV shot. I think it'd be even better if we never saw Kent's face until that moment. Right. It was just yes. this mysterious, like hooded, hooded, hoodie guy who you know comes in and is putting the question to him. And Hathaway recognizes him, but like doesn't say his name. And it isn't until Hathaway's looking up as his vision is going into a tunnel uh as he you know is passing out and kent is leaning over and you know says some snide remark and we get to see his face and so anybody who is in the theater to see the sequel to real genius would recognize you know right. him immediately you're right and then I, I i love it yeah we jump forward to this uh this sequence where we meet we meet mitch and chris and then it's almost leading into like this montage of like let's jump ahead a year and see the yes. success and the rise of real net and et cetera, et cetera. And, and and every once in a while we'll cut away and we'll see kent like in a very typical scene of him standing on a sidewalk in like new york looking at like a wall of like tvs and a window yep. you know it's <laughs> just like what? getting the news that way and just like smoldering <laughs> have him like picking up like a you know a time life or a people and like see you know mitch and chris in some kind of like goofy pose you know maybe like standing on a surfboard in their office you know type of thing like you know, and have him just like crumple the magazine and throw it down. Like, so yeah, we, we get this montage of, you know, time has passed. They've, they've become extremely successful and, you know, uh, they, they don't understand the true vision. They don't understand that it all has to come down type of thing. Um, and I definitely like the idea of him having this little cult. Like there's just something about that, that always scares me. And I think mm-hmm. that's why I like the, the religious villain so much is because of how easy it seems for them to, to amass followers who are almost brainwashed. Like one of the, uh, the best examples of that is in the mist, which whew, that's, that's a hard movie to watch, but yep. the crazy religious chick in that, how easily she gets all of the, the people in the supermarket to, to follow her to the point where they're ready to kill a kid. You know, mm-hmm. and I think that's why these types of villains always like, you know, get me so much. Like I get so excited about those types of villains because I find them terrifying. And I think if we play it right with Kent, we can make him into that cold, calculating villain that has like a group following him, willing to do whatever he tells them to do. And I'd yeah, that's spooky to me. <laughs> And you're totally right. And what scares me about that sort of a character is that they are irrational. And I, yes. we've already mentioned that before where Kent's motivation 
doesn't make any sense to you and I. Like we would never reach the conclusion that God stopped talking to me because I'm God, you know, or whatever, you know, like that, that's a, that's a jump. But again, the whole idea is that you can create this character who is irrational and their irrational nature means that they are erratic and they're unpredictable and they could kind of do anything. You know, they've convinced themselves that they are above the average person, that they are, you know, somehow better than human. And that's scary because you don't ever really know what they're going to do. It's, probably not logical you know to the norm a normal person you know in their head they think what they're doing makes total sense because they've got some kind of a of a of a holy decree but their logic is is faulty so it's right. really really hard to predict like what they're going to do and you get these like unhinged characters that just feel like little wound up springs you know ready to pop yeah yeah absolutely it's just, it's, it's 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 a very <laughs> creepy villain Yes, I, I agree. So I think this is good. I, I, I don't know that we necessarily need to go through like all the beats here, you know, for like, mm. beat by beat. Let's do all the twists and all the turns. Uh, I'm not sure I want to, to be honest, you know, feel free to, to throw something in if you if if you have a, a cool idea. But I really like this. And I think what this movie is going to be is it's going to trace two storylines. Right. We have already mentioned you have Kent sort of building his followers disappearing people to find out who will join him and who will die and, you know, slowly building something, right. Well, which we'll mm-hmm. find out what it is. And then we'll see also, you know, Chris and Mitch and everything is great and life is awesome. And they're building their followers and they're making plans for the big, like the first, you know, new year's 100% totally online. And that'll be probably the majority, like probably two thirds, two acts of this movie will be those things happening. Um, I don't know that we if I can I don't know that I can think of a sort of like second act. Oh, no moment, you know, something something that goes terribly wrong. And I'm not sure that we need one because I think we could just build up to a confrontation, you know, in Times Square. You know what? I, I think I well, I think the oh, no moment should should be very simple. I, they, they now they're planning to do this big, uh, you know, online party, like you said. So, you know, Mitch and Chris are like, you know. Fuck going to to these, you know, one to one giant party that not everyone can attend. You know, everybody should be able to attend. So have your party in your home, have your computer on. We're all going to be joined together. We're all going to have this gigantic, you know, one like first time in human history party where everybody can be attending. You know, so they, they have this whole plan, right? What if Kent, using his little network of followers, either sabotage their, you know, real.net, like they 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 take the, the servers down or they screw something up or they they do what Facebook has done in the last five years and crazy people out there use it to make people believe in conspiracy. So maybe they make everybody believe that, you know, they're gathering information on you. Like real.net is use is, is, is able to gather your bank account info. Like basically they sabotage it where no one trusts, you know, the, the network anymore. And, and he screws it all up for them. Oh so yeah. There's this, okay. there's this big, Oh no moment of like, Holy shit. We we're losing everything. Like what do, what do we do? And, you know, Kent now has the upper hand and, it's 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 made it so all the people are going to still have the party in Times Square, therefore making the threat of when this laser goes off, it's going to kill thousands of people. 
Um, so now, you know, Chris and Mitch and Laszlo working with the FBI have to figure out what Kent's plan is. You know, we fast forward to the to the third act where it's like they have to have the big, you know, showdown in Times Square. And here's 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 what I think the perfect ending uh, for how that is going to play out should be. Chris is going to somehow smear a substance on the laser. <laughs> nice. Because that's what Kent did to him, you know, and remember, <laughs> Kent was like, always check your optics, you know, like yeah. <laughs> he yeah. made that little line in the first movie. So what if what if Mitch does the same thing? And when he goes to fire the laser, it burns out and like explodes. And Mitch is like, you know, always check your optics. And then, you know, Kent rushes him with a fucking knife or something. And they actually have to have like a fucking fight. <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. That'd be really cool. Uh, I can I can almost picture Laszlo like you know quiet, uh, stuttering kind of uh, you know shrinking violet Laszlo just coming out with like, some kind of uh, martial art you know mastery that he learned right. just like just like he masters everything else that he ever tries. You know, it's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> what if what if Kent gets the upper hand and like you know okay so he's, he he beats the shit out of out of, out of Chris right. Uh, maybe Mitch is like working with the FBI, like trying to clear people out of, of Times Square. So they're, him and Jordan are, are, are involved in some way, too. But Mitch went to go or uh, Chris went to go face uh, Kent and Kent gets the upper hand. You know, maybe his his uh, his little cronies are like blocking the door or whatever. <laughs> like suddenly the cronies aren't there and we pan over and they're like knocked out. And Laszlo comes in and just like, you know, taps taps Kent on the shoulder or something and just fucking Kung Fu kicks him or something, you know, some <laughs> kind of crazy shit. Yeah. And, and have Chris be like, Laszlo. And he's like, yeah, you know, I was, I was studying karate for a while and, you know, I just found a way to use it or found a time to use it or something, you yeah. know, something like that, <laughs> that, that very, like very matter of fact, like, Oh yeah, no, this is just how it is. Type yeah, of you, you never can be too prepared. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, yeah. so then Kent gets hauled away in cuffs and all that. And we can, we can have the, the, uh, I don't know if you want to have the stinger moment or like the the before credits moment of him like sitting in prison, you know, just by himself and look up and be like, "Are you there, God? It's me, Kent." <laughs> and have it, like <laughs> credits. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's, it's actually funny because <laughs> I was actually thinking that would be a good. Uh, episode title <laughs> nice. hey there god it's me kent <laughs> That'd be no i like that i like that and i like the idea of, of chris uh rubbing some kind of a, a substance on the optics in some way as a callback to the first movie like you said kind of turning it around on kent that he sabotaged their laser by rubbing oil onto one of their lenses and then have chris you know do something very similar so of course we have to plant the chekhov's whatever right earlier right. in the movie and chris being such a goofball we mentioned he's wearing like slippers and like silly hats and clothes and you know whatever and he's goofing or he's always goofing around and never taking anything seriously maybe we see him playing with like a ball of like gack or like slime yes. that like kids are always and he's just <laughs> he's just always messing with it like back and forth in his hands like a slinky you know and um he's we see him you know go into a meeting or whatever and he like sticks it under a desk and as he's walking out he grabs it and starts playing with it and twisting it around and you know he's just being silly with it and it's and it yeah. seems like it's just one of these this affectation that he has uh, part of his personality where he's just oh he's so silly he's like he's a big kid at heart but then he has it with him later on when maybe they go maybe laszlo and chris and mitch they figure out 
wait, what's happening? Like everybody is suddenly signing. Everybody in New York is like signing offline. They're all, you know, they're signing off of RealNet, like one by one by one by one. Like, what are they doing in New York? Oh, duh, it's New Year's Eve. Like they're going to Times Square. Like we got to get there. You know, somehow they put that logic together. Yeah. And they go to they go to one Times Square, the building there for the inevitable conflict, the inevitable showdown. And, yeah, when they get into the building, maybe Kent was sort of expecting them and like he gets the upper hand and, you know, he's got his goons with guns on him or something. Uh, and they they use their, you know, their genius to outwit the the guards who are, you know, who are watching them uh, and, you know, they, they get away. And in the meantime, you see, you know, Chris just having sort of like look up and like notice the ball and like see a glint of light and you just see that he's figured it out. But then we cut away to, you know, uh, Kent, uh, whatever, you know, trying to, uh, to stop them, you know, get them. And, uh, Yeah, and then later on, when like he he does fire the laser, and he's like, "Haha, you couldn't stop me," you know, and or maybe he even gets up after like Laszlo takes him down, and he's like, you know, I'll have my revenge. Whoever pushes the big red button, <laughs> and the laser goes <laughs> off, and but then it just kind of like goes haywire, and and maybe Kent, you know, he picks up his binoculars or whatever, and he's looking to see like what's going on, and you see that just like pink slime, you know, just on the on the prism, <laughs> like somehow Chris just like threw it in there, and we don't even need to explain how because it'll just be this perfect little. Uh, Chekhov's gun moment yeah and then of course you know he has to mention the the always check your optics thing like like uh like Kent did in the first one and then yeah (laughs) (laughs) but no I I I definitely like I I think that that's that would be the perfect ending is to have the the laser foiled by by Kent's own example from the first movie and and I really like the idea of having him like alone in a cell trying to talk to God again Yes, I think that's the perfect way to end it for sure. <laughs> wow, this this came together a lot quicker than I was expecting. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And like I said, I think we could have gone through some more of the twists and the turns, but I think the, no, understanding the concept that this is a techno thriller from the '90s and understanding what where we're going, what's really important is we have the setup, we have a good motivation, and then we have a really good uh, like showdown, you know, moment at the end. And especially you know, in a high rise in New York city with like a right. mega weapon and martial arts and henchmen. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's perfect for the era, you know, it fits right in and yeah, this is good. I think it's a simple and quick idea that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, I'm, I always love to do a good genre switch up for a sequel. You know, I mentioned the gremlins two example a hundred times and aliens, the sequel to alien being much more of like an action movie than the first one was, uh, which leaned more toward horror. So yeah, this is a fun yeah. thing for me to do is to take something sort of irreverent and funny and ratchet up the tension and suspense. Yeah. No, I totally so. agree. Awesome. I think this is probably a, a good place to wrap things up. And uh, yeah, this has been good, Mike. So I hope that uh, your your head's in a better spot now and you're not, <laughs> not going to get confused. So when you go to yeah. record the next podcast, you know, don't just jump in with like, welcome, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll start doing the raised by rentals opening. Jesus. <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, uh, just just a, a fi- final thought on this is like, I, I think this is something that we should do more of in the future because there are so many great examples of films from the eighties with lovable characters, lovable premise, all that, that we, that never got sequelized, you know, like we kind of did that with commando. Now we're doing this with real genius. Um, I like the idea and I do, I do enjoy the genre switch, like you were saying. And I think that if we really sat down and kind of thought about it, we could probably come up with a list of films from the eighties and nineties that we could do a really fun genre twist 
Um, even and this happens in horror a lot too. We mentioned this on the Boogeyman's Closet. A lot of times, you know, a movie will come out and it'll be very like the first one will be very serious and very scary, and then it gets comedic as it goes on. Like look at the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. You know, yeah. like by part four, it was like really getting kind of silly at moments. By part six, it was a straight up fucking comedy. You know. Yeah. Yeah, it, even Evil Dead, like the original one, yeah. it's it's funny, sure. Like it's you know it doesn't take itself too seriously, but it's also really creepy. And yeah. then immediately by part two, it was like just kind of over the top. And then Army of Darkness is just a comedy schlock yeah. fest all the way through. Exactly, and and I think so. So listeners, uh, you know, maybe hit us up on the socials. I know we we will mention that in a minute, but hit us up on the socials and let us know. Like, are there any movies that you think? would be a fun genre switch sequel idea or prequel or whatever. You know, like, are there any horror movies or action movies or comedy movies that you think would have a funny uh, sequel in a different genre? Because I, I think this is a really fun thought experiment, and, and I had a lot of fun with this. And for me, I was never a huge fan of Real Genius. Like, I, it, was, it was one of those movies that I liked as a kid, but I didn't watch it a lot. Like, you mentioned Weird Science at the top. I was a Weird Science kid. Like... I watched that one over and over and over again. Real Genius was more like my brother's favorite. So I would watch it with him occasionally, but it was never really my cup of tea. And uh, I had mentioned to you, I think off the air, maybe even on a, on a rental rant, that I had not watched Real Genius for like 20 years before uh, mm-hmm. preparing for this show. And like rewatching it, I'm like, wow, this is a lot more fun than I remembered. Like, I think as a kid, I didn't quite get it. You know, it, it didn't really just it just didn't stick with me. So, mm-hmm. like, for for me coming into this episode, um, it, it was very fun to try to reimagine these characters in a new way. Like, how would how would they react in this situation? So I, I don't know. I had a lot of fun with this idea. Yeah, me too. I had a ton of fun. I love Real Genius and I watched it over and over again as a kid. It was one of the movies that we had taped off of HBO or Cinemax and one of those. So I had it on a VHS uh, you know, record your own VHS tape and we would just watch those over and over again. So the hundred or so movies that I had taped off a of TV are like the movies of my childhood, you know, the ones <laughs> right. that I had the ability to just obsess over, over and over and over again. You know, I had all the police academies, <laughs> you know, I had weird right. science. I had, uh, you know, Mad Max, uh, Beyond Thunderdome. I never had the first two, so I'm not nearly oh. as I'm not as familiar with the first two. Like I, I've, I the second one was at the Road Warrior. Yeah, I yeah. definitely saw. I didn't see the first Mad Max until I was an adult. Same. It was like it was it was a just a gap in my knowledge because if you if you've seen the Road Warrior and you've seen Beyond Thunderdome, like that's the whole story. And the first one is as an adult, I discovered that it's really weird and doesn't yep. fit into the series nearly as uh, smoothly and, uh, and as, as tightly as the other ones do. You almost don't even really need it so i didn't really yeah. think i was missing out on much um but yeah this one real genius what you just described is kind of my experience with like war games war games is one of those movies where i watched wow. it it was okay like i didn't it wasn't my favorite like it was you know i like matthew broderick a lot uh, but it wasn't until i was watching it as an adult years later that i like really appreciated what that was all about and why that movie was so good yeah no i, I had the exact same experience with that movie as a kid, again, my sister and my brother really liked it, and I think I was just too young. Like, I was like, I don't get why it's so cool, but hey, they're watching it, so I'll sit and watch it with them. Yeah. Um, you know, because I, the, I was the little sibling. I'm like, I'll do what my, my siblings are doing. Um, but yeah, as an adult watching it, I'm like, oh, this is actually a really good movie. <laughs> like, I actually really like <laughs> war games, but as a kid, I didn't I didn't care. Um, yeah. You yeah, know, didn't, but, but... Didn't get it. Yeah. 
but yeah, like, so, uh, I, to just to reiterate, like, definitely we should do more of this. <laughs> and, and like, my mind is kind of going haywire with ideas right now. Like the first thing that came to mind was, and I don't know why this, this first thing came to mind, but could we do critters as an actual horror movie? <laughs> Cause all oh, the yeah. critters were comical. <laughs> yeah. That'd be great. I think that would almost even be a good improv improve, uh, a true improv improve because yeah. we could take the movie and just say very much like we were revenge of the nerds to take the movie and just kind of redo it. Like, could we tell the same story, but make it really creepy and not yeah. silly, you know, like that would be exactly. really interesting. There, um, I don't, I don't know if you, I know we're kind of going off on tangents. We need to wrap this up, but uh, I don't know if you followed D Wallace at all on TikTok, but she, she tells all sorts of funny stories about making films over the years. And she was talking about critters on one of them. And she said that it was one of the hardest moments in her, in her career to keep like a straight face and act afraid while these people were controlling these little like balls of fur, like rolling them through the set. <laughs> and she was like, it was so hard not to start laughing. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I mean, that uh, to me that is a real challenge and this was a big thing in the 80s the, the little monster movie like there was uh, like ghoulies and critters and munchies and puppet master and dolls and there was always like little minuscule monsters and i <laughs> and I, I i think full moon is is probably uh primarily to blame for that um the gate yeah exactly there's there's always a little monster um and it's like as a kid a lot of that shit scared me as an adult i'm like why should i be scared just kick it so there's that whole example of like, or that whole uh, idea of how the fuck do you make that genuinely frightening? And I think that that would be a really fun experiment. So one of these days, yes, I would like to to improv and improve on act on the actual first Critters movie. I like that idea. Yeah. All right. Cool. Critters is on the list. Revenge of the Nerds is on the list. We'll improv improve those. And then, yeah, definitely let's do some some more cool sequels. I could rattle off a whole list of movies from the 80s that I would have loved to have seen more of, you know, seen a sequel of or turn it into a whole series. You know, like I am one of those people that really, really wanted that Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. <laughs> yes. Beetlejuice yes. Sequel. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> because oh. it just sounds so terrible. But if you look at the concept for the first Beetlejuice on paper versus what we got, there was a genius auteur level of delivery and execution involved in getting such a weird movie on screen with like, you know, Harry Belafonte music and stop motion <laughs> animation and like Dune references, but yep. it's a horror movie, but it's actually a comedy and like the main character is barely in it. And it's like, there's, yep. There's so many things, and I just recently found out that Michael Keaton apparently took some inspiration from Chop Top, from Texas yes. Massacre 2 for Beetlejuice, and I'm like, that makes so much sense. How come I never knew that before? Mm -hmm. But it just adds to like the layer and layers and layers of weirdness. So when you say Beetlejuice in Hawaii, I say, hell yeah, I want to see that movie. <laughs> same, man, same. It's like, ah, oh, this is one of those things that you hear a lot now with fandoms where people are like, oh, it would have gone against the mythology. There was no mythology then. You know, there wasn't these fandoms built on it. It was just one movie. There wasn't a cartoon yet. There wasn't, you know, all these fan theories or anything. It was just a movie. And back then, sequels were a dime a dozen. It was just like, do another movie. It's the, it's the reason why, like, 
when you look at Nightmare on Elm Street 1 to Nightmare on Elm Street 2, they're so drastically different to the point where when they started filming, they didn't even have Robert Englund as Freddy because they're like, why? We don't need him. Yeah. You know, and it's it's like that's how they made films back then. So, you know, like I said, fan, modern fandom looks at at sequels and it's like, ah, that should not happen because it goes against everything. But back then, no one gave a fuck. You know, it was yeah. just like make a good sequel. And and I use Nightmare on Elm Street, too, as an example, because I, and I know you and I have both kind of sat on this this same side. That's a perfect example of a film that goes drastically away from the first film and the rest in the franchise and is a severely underrated movie. Like it's a really good sequel. Yeah. Um, and it does a lot of fun stuff, but it doesn't get the love that it deserves because by part three, part three, they set up a mythology. That's when we kind of get the whole souls of the Elm street children and the Amanda Kruger and the whole, you know, son of a hundred maniacs. And we get all of that. And that carries on, for the rest of the franchise. So part two sticks out like a sore thumb, but there wasn't any mythology at that point. It was just make a sequel. Yeah. You know? I, th- I think what I missed about sequels from that era was that they were just a lot more fun. And I feel like yeah. there is a, and you just mentioned it too, but there is a big focus on, well, let's make a good sequel and it has to tie into the mythology and it's got to be bigger and more complex with like more villains and more subplots and more cameos and like build this whole universe. And there's so much pressure put on a sequel to be bigger and badder and faster and flashier and, you know, more expensive and all this. And I feel like sequels back in the day were just have a good time with it. And I always yeah. thought that that was the reason why Friday the 13th and I'm on Elm Street and Police Academy and Gremlins and even Back to the Future and movies like that that weren't horror necessarily. But the movies that were just let's just have a good time with it. Like, just just have fun. Like Jaws, like Jaws yeah. got so goofy, you know, <laughs> and and I don't and I don't think there's that there was anything wrong with that because it you already have the first movie. You know, it's that yeah. ruin your childhood thing that we, you know, talk about uh, in one of our other episodes where, you know, people get so butthurt because it wasn't exactly like the first one or it wasn't as good or they did something, you know, kind of off, you know, the deep end or, you know, uh, off uh, off model with it. And I always thought that stuff was fun. Like, just have a good time. And if you don't like it don't watch it like just yeah, go watch, watch the, the first, first jaws <laughs> and be happy with it but like yeah. i i want the fourth jaws where there's a shark on a vendetta to the caribbean <laughs> like that is what i want to see <laughs> you know you know the one i always think of that i remember at the time everybody loved and then fast forward to like modern fandom and somehow everyone talks shit about is robocop 2 yeah and i love like, robocop 2 <laughs> dude me too like i remember as a kid being like you know, Kane is so awesome. Like I want a Kane toy. Like I thought that RoboCop two was so much fun and don't get me wrong. I still loved RoboCop one, but like RoboCop two did everything you wanted out of a sequel. They did more of the first one. They had crazier things happening. Everything was a little lighthearted, you know, in comparison to the first one, you got all this wacky shit going on. Like you got a a bigger bad guy and it's like, now people look back on it and they're like, oh, it was lame. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I mean, it, was, it was fun. It was so much. And, and may, we, we probably should wrap this up or save it for a rant. But for me, it was maybe I'm just a callous, like unemotional person. But, you know, I love a really good, emotional, heavy 
a soul searching kind of a movie like Robocop, like really examining what it means to be human, you know, and, and, uh, you know, <laughs> right. d- blurring the lines between you know, your, your life and your job and your mission and why you're here and, you know, what your purpose in life is. But if I could just replace pathos with having a great time, then <laughs> that's what I want to do, you know, because <laughs> Because I watch movies to have fun. I mean, ask yourself this. How many times have you, have everyone listening to this, how many times have you just said, man, I just want to throw something on in the background or just throw on something fun I've seen about 100 times before because I don't want to think about it that much. You just want to throw something on that's like a comfort food type of a movie where you just enjoy it and you can like don't necessarily have to watch every single scene. Or if you do, like you're just – you know, vibing the whole time because it's like your favorite song. And that's what I love out of movies. I love sequels or really any kind of a movie that just has a good time because I, I, that's what I want. You know, if I'm going to watch, you know, a movie that's just going to like tear my soul up because somebody's been like kidnapped or murdered or abused, it's like, I don't want to watch that movie ever again. Like get it out of here. You know, I might love it and appreciate it for this genius piece of art, but the rewatchable factor is just in the toilet for me. Cause I don't want to experience those yep. grimy emotions. Every time I sit down to like, have a good time. Like I want to laugh and revel in just having fun. Yeah. This is something I've said in the boogeyman's closet over and over again. This is why comedy horror is my favorite genre. This is why I love stuff like Shaun of the dead return of the living dead. I love those kind of movies that are just fucking silly because they are a good time. That's not to say movies like Last House on the Left aren't really good stories that are like very poignant, but I don't want to watch it again. <laughs> like I saw yeah. it once and I'm like, uh-uh. Because I had somebody ask me uh, recently, when are you guys going to do movies like I Spit on Your Grave and Last House on the Left on the Boogeyman's Closet? And I said, probably never. You yeah, know, and they and they looked at me funny, and I'm like, I- I'm sorry, like I, I respect those films for what they are and what they brought to the genre, uh, particularly, and I'm and I'm gonna go on a mini rant here, but particularly with Last House on the Left, there is something that I love about that movie where it teaches you that revenge solves nothing. That's the point. This is why I didn't like the idea of the remake. The original, its whole point is these horrible acts of violence still leave you empty and they show it from both the killer's perspective and the parent's perspective. And it's a very like important part of that film that I think a lot of people uh, gloss over because they're just like, yay, violence. Um, But it's, it's a very uh, important film for that aspect, but I saw it once. I don't ever need to see it again. I can't bring myself to watch it again. I spit on your grave. I had to stop multiple times in my watching because I just found it honestly too disturbing for, for my taste. And while I can respect films like that, I don't want to watch them. That's not fun. So more to your point, movies to me are about having a good time. That's why I love them. That's that's why we do stuff like this, where we reimagine stuff, where we we create fictional sequels that will never happen. It's because it's about having a good time. And that's that's really that's really all there is to it. Yeah, I totally agree. It's funny you mentioned I spit in your grave because that was the example that I was about to list where I was going to say I 
thought that was a great movie. I never, ever want to see it ever again. But something like Dead Alive or Brain Dead, which is a gross (laughs) and bloody and violent movie, man, I'd watch it all the time, you know? Exactly. Uh, Splatstick is great. Yeah, it has has fun with itself. So, um, all right, yeah. I, this is a great little mini rant. It kind of takes me back to some of our older episodes before we spun off the rental rants into their own side series. You know, I kind yeah. of missed these little rabbit trails we used to go down. <laughs> and I was yeah. noticing in our last episode uh, in a van down by the river that <laughs> that we didn't really have as many of those. And I, as I was editing it, I realized, oh, like I kind of miss them. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> this was a good little mini rant to go on. But let's uh, let's go ahead and wrap it up. And I will say, hey. Mike, I want to draw everyone's attention to a pretty kick-ass character that you drew not too long ago, a pretty radical cat named Miami Ice, who is the (laughs) mascot for Rad Pantheon, a sort of art collective of podcasters, artists, musicians, and a whole lot more. It's a super team of creative people, and we think that if you like this show, listener, that you will definitely like at least one, if not all of the other projects involved at radpantheon.com and all over the social media at radpantheon and uh, come stop by check me out on instagram and twitter at comics boost just spell comics with an x it's a channel where i spotlight crowdfund campaigns for comic book projects that i think deserve to be reality horror fantasy sci-fi superheroes whatever if you like cool indie comics and you want to check out some new stuff uh, exclusive to kickstarter and zoop and indiegogo then stop on by i have got some great recommendations what about you mike Ah, well, you can check out uh, my artwork primarily on TikTok these days. I've been posting a lot of time-lapse drawings. Uh, it's just Mike Alvarez and um, on Instagram, Zaracis, Z-A-R-A-C-I-S. Uh, also, uh, the other two podcasts I'm a part of, The Boogeyman's Closet, which is also on the Rad Pantheon and all over the socials as The Boogeyman's Closet. And uh, Count Creepyhead Saturday Morning Monster Mash, where three grown man children talk about toys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so check those out. If you guys like this, if you like the type of rants that we go on, chances are you'll you'll have fun with those podcasts as well. But uh, yeah, we're all on Rad Pantheon. Awesome. Sounds good. So I'm glad to hear that you know the distinction between those two podcasts and this one and you're not still befuddled uh, so that hopefully next time we won't have this problem mike because i do the intro yeah so. yeah that's right, that's right. <laughs> well, well we'll see if if i if i screw up tomorrow when i'm recording count creepyhead <laughs> yeah, that'll be funny be like okay so we should do this whole sequel series right where we bring in arnold schwarzenegger <laughs> it's it's the arnold universe which actually don called me out on <laughs> Yeah, yeah. She was like, I see what you're doing with that Arnold stuff. <laughs> yeah, I heard that. That's a good episode, too. Oh, man, when Don guessed it on Count Creepyhead. Uh, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, we are. We're, we're building like the Arnieverse, and uh, I'm not uh, I'm not shying away from it. Let's just do it. You know, Hell we got to no. we, we got to get them all in there. We got to get Conan <laughs> in there. You know what the real challenge is, Mike? We're going to do that? it. We're going to do it, Don. Jingle all the way. Oh, getting dude. tied in. <laughs> yeah, we got for that. sure. Yeah, jingle all the way. True lies and kindergarten cop that could they could all tie together. No problem. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. We're doing we're doing those ones. Definitely. So. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for tuning into the Raised by Rentals program. We already talked a lot about the social media, but you can find out more about this show all over the place at Raised by Rentals and at RaisedByRentals.com. We would love to get your feedback. Like Mike said earlier, leave a comment, leave a rating. Let us know what we should improv, improve next time. And with that, I'm Josh. I'm Mike. And we have to return some videotapes. (laughs) 
Raised by Rentals is a member of the Rad Pantheon Network. Visit radpantheon.com to support rad stuff. The theme music is Forbidden Fruit by Velvet Bethany. You can purchase music and learn more at velvetbethany.com. Well, I'm not insane. Or am I? That remains to be seen, Kent.